Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 you were a slave of the world now you are a slave of jehovah you are jehovah's free people like you learned last week if you are a slave of christ you're the freest person in the world Well, hi there and welcome. This is Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan. Today, we tackle the Lord's Table. You know, for many churches, it's a post-it note. It's a, oh yeah, before we go kind of a thing. But here in Scripture, we begin to realize just exactly what it is we're doing when we celebrate the Lord's Table. And that is what we're focusing on this week. We invite you to join us today as we begin a look at the Lord's Table, the table of which we eat. Here's Pastor Jesse with today's broadcast of Way of Grace. We are looking at the Lord's Table today, and then we'll get a visual of both. What a joyful opportunity to observe baptism and to participate in the table. What a beautiful thing. We don't know how many times that will occur in our lifetime, but we hope that it's more often. We will be having a, num- we will be having a number of baptisms today, and then we'll be having a number of baptisms next week. All right. Uh, there you go. Do it. Do it. Apparently the waters are stirring and folks want to be clean. The Lord's Table, the subtitle of our message today, I kind of just want to massage your thoughts around the meaning of it. It's rich, it's deep, and we don't really want to lose sight of the central purpose for which the Lord gave us the second of two ordinances that constitutes the life and reality of Christ in his body called the church. So I want you to think about the term, the table from which we eat. The table from which we eat. The Lord's table. Can you imagine that? That God has a table. And we have been invited to eat at that table. What a profound thought. I want you to meditate on that. Now, the table is merely a symbol but a very important symbol at that of our participation in the divine nature. The table is a symbol of our participation in the divine nature. The divine nature meaning that of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This is a Trinitarian enterprise. As you think about drawing near to God and participating in the bread, in the blood, 
This is a Trinitarian enterprise. In other words, it's of the Father and through the Son and by the Holy Spirit. All three persons are the ground and cause for which sinners can sit at God's table and eat. The table, therefore, probably is the most important table you will ever sit at. And maybe one day you'll get a grip on his highness calling you to sit at his table. So I do really am, I do really want God to raise the level of your understanding and appreciation of this ordinance we engage in month after month after month with all of the saints all around the world for the last now 2,000 years. So as we look at this table and consider it, we want to recognize that baptism, which we'll see again today, as we stated last week, symbolizes our union with Christ, our union with him in that when he died, we died. And when he was buried, we were buried. And when he rose again, we rose with him so that every believer walks in what is called resurrection life. That's the life we have now. The life every believer has in Christ is resurrection life. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faithfulness of him who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not I that live that resurrection life, but Christ lives it in me. It's a union between us and him. Do you ladies and gentlemen get that? The union is, the, is an entry doctrine into the kingdom. Baptism allows us to enter into the kingdom. The Lord's table allows us to participate in the privileges of the kingdom. The Lord's table is a privileged participatory event. Now that you're in, you get to enjoy the table. Is that making some sense? Now, as an order of events, you don't enjoy the participatory benefits of the kingdom until you enter in. Now, all these things are merely symbols of spiritual reality so that we do not take hold of the shadow as if it's the substance. We do not make the gross error of religion of buying into the water as having some intrinsic grace quality, nor the table possessing within itself some kind of transferable benefit to our soul. No, the water is still water. You're just as dirty getting out as you did getting in physically. The table is only a symbol. It does not transfer, translate, transfigure into anything. You're just as needy of Christ before you eat that bread and drink that cup as afterwards. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But the language must be grasped very clearly. What we are asserting is that the table is a provision of grace by which the incarnate son of God nourishes the people of God spiritually, spiritually to strengthen our faith 
in his once for all accomplished redemption at Calvary. When we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we are preaching to the world symbolically in a parody that Christ died for our sins and his very life and death is our life. We feed on Jesus Christ as our very life. Does that make some sense? One more thing about that as we begin to look at seven points. When God calls you and me to the table, he's calling you and me to the privilege of a parental priestly relationship. He's calling us as sons to the table of the father, but also as priests in his kingdom. I want you to imagine now as you draw near to the table, you are not only to be understood as a child of God, but you are part of a holy priesthood for which they alone have the privilege at sitting at meat with God, who is our great king and our Melchizedek. And we are part of his ministry to the world. Does that make some sense? You and I are a kingdom of priests. And as it was in the Old Testament, the priests were able to do what? Partake of the showbread. So you and I also, because of who we are in Christ, get to enjoy the table of our great King and Melchizedek, the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that raises your level of understanding of what this thing is all about. Point number one, therefore, the Father's gift of Christ's sacrifice pictured. So now when I use that term, the father's gift of Christ's sacrifice pictured, here's what you need to know. When we look at the table and we see the ordinances there, we must understand that they came from the father. The father is the one who provided the table. The table itself is the person and work of Jesus Christ sacrificially. The father is the one who gives us the gift of his son in order that we might be a partaker of their divine nature through him. The table, therefore, is to point us to the father through the son by the Holy Ghost who draws us to participate. Does that come home? All right. So the first thing you and I want to know is that this idea of God calling men and women to participate in the fellowship with him is given to us back in the days when his first two children, Adam and Eve, broke rank with God and ran off. Y'all remember that account? Now, God knew they were going to break rank with him and run off. Didn't he know that? Those of you who understand God is omniscient, God is eternal. There's nothing here from him known unto God are all his works from the foundation of the world. God hunted them down. He called them. They came and then God engaged in an examination process, found them guilty. And then what did God do? He exercised the grace of turning his wrath away from them and giving them the soft answer of a substitute and a savior called the Lord Jesus Christ. And we read in Genesis 3, verse 22, and the Lord clothed them with coats of skin. Do you guys remember that? He clothed them with coats of skin, inferring that he had already slain a lamb. He had already shed blood. Why? Because the wages of sin is what? 
Right. Now, isn't this a wonderful thing? And is this not like our God of grace to come to us, hunt us down? Because when we run away, we won't go back to him if he don't call us back. And once he calls us back, he wants us to confess our sin, does he not? But he has a soft answer, not a hard answer. Because the hard answer is to kill you and me because the wages of sin is what? But here comes God with coats of skin to cover our nakedness. And the sacrifice that we're looking at is really a sacrifice of God's righteous love to us. Doesn't love cover a multitude of sin? And isn't it stated in the word of God, greater love hath no man than this, than that he lays down his life for his friend. So the first great act that God engages in after our fall is to sacrifice his son for our sin and then to cover our naked bodies so we could continue in fellowship with him. That's the first meaning of the sacrifice and never forget it. From that point forward, ladies and gentlemen, from that point forward, guess what's going on? Everywhere you find the people of God, there is a slaughtering of a lamb. There is a shedding of blood. There is a sacrifice offered up to God to remind the world that the only soft answer to sin is the substitutionary atoning work of Jesus Christ for us. Does that make some sense? Very important to know that when you and I eat this little wafer and drink this cup, this has really been reduced to an emblem that doesn't even begin to describe the enormity of the sacrifice that the Son of God engaged in for us to be one with God. But I want you to think that through and keep that in mind. That's our first point around the table. The table is a sacrifice. Long ago, when people understood the table, guess what they called the table? An altar. Why? Because something died in order that you might live. And you might do this too by way of extrapolation. Every time you eat a meal, particularly if it's carnivorous, thank God and remember Jesus Christ. Because in order for you to eat, something died. And when we partake of the table, we must know that these elements are not so weak and beggarly that they don't point to the fact that someone died in order that we might live. Amen. That's point number one in our outline. God makes it clear sin is to be punished, but he punished it elsewhere. He punished it in his son. Number two, the father's gift of Christ's sacrifice not only is pictured here and it became a running pattern all the way up to the Exodus account, but this uh, ordinance of the Lord's table also pictures our purchase from sin. See, you and I are slaves of sin. Did you know that? And especially prior to God granting you his grace, you and I are slaves of the world. We're slaves of the devil. We're slaves of the flesh. We're slaves under the curse of the law. Y'all know why I'm telling the truth. And we need to be liberated. And so the picture emblem of what is called the Passover, the Old Testament counterpart to the New Testament table is seen for us in the book of Exodus chapter 12, verse five. Notice what it says in Exodus 12, five. Your lamb shall be without blemish. That is a picture pointing to the holy, harmless, undefiled nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the substitute 
that takes your place must not be like you. In other words, he or she or it or they cannot be exactly like you. So, you know, when we go, what if God was one of us? I'm so glad he's not. (laughs) I'm so glad he's not. See, those songs have a little truth in it, but mostly it's poison. He's holy and we're not. He's harmless and we are not. He's separate from sinners and we drink iniquity like water. God is the only person in his son walking this earth that knew no sin and did no sin. And in him was no sin. And to this day, no one can convince him of sin. He's the holy, harmless lamb of God. Now he qualifies to be your substitute. So the text is teaching us of the first year he shall be taken out from the sheep or from the goats. Verse six through eleven. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall do what? When? In the evening. And that's why we read in Matthew chapter 26, where our Lord engaging in the last Passover and the first Lord's table did it in the evening. Because while he was engaging in the table with his disciples, guess what was happening all day long? The lambs were being prepared for the slaughter. Every lamb pointing to the lamb of God. And this is why Jesus said, this is the New Testament in my what? My blood, my blood, which is shed for you. Here he is personifying that very act that Israel engaged in every year called Passover, where they slew thousands, tens of thousands of lambs, anticipating one day the Messiah coming, who would be the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. And mark what the language will tell us here as we look at it explicitly in verse 11. Look at verse 11, Exodus 12, 11. And thus shall you do what? Now I want you to mark that now. You kill it, You offer some to God and the rest you do what? All right, this is where you got to pause and really think through the goodness of God. This is why what I was doing in the opening of our monologue was trying to condition you to understand that to be a partaker of the divine nature, you have to not only observe it, affirm it, but you have to imbibe it. You have to ingest it. You have to feed on it. Here's the very sacrifice that God is offering up for your sin. Guess what he's calling you to do? Feed on it. That very sacrifice has to also be part of the very grounds upon which you live. It's essential that you and I understand that's what that table is about. And if we were to extrapolate it throughout the whole of the sacrificial system, guess who is also eating of that same sacrifice? God himself. According to the word of God, he gets the choicest parts of the sacrifice. He gets the fat. The fat is the Lord's. That is the choicest parts of the sacrifice. It's symbolizing the richness and the profundity of our union with God through the metaphor of feeding. We are not cannibals. We are children of the living God. But we feed on that one thing that God has given to the world by which we might live. And that is the eternal son of the living God. They were to fatten it up and then they were to kill it and then they were to 
eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand and you shall eat it in haste. It is called the what? The Lord's Passover. Now what he's doing here after several thousands of years of using the sacrifice as a central emblem of worship for without the shedding of blood, there is no what? Sinners need a substitute. And so in real worship, the substitute doctrine has to always be set forth. But at some point, the substitute becomes the payment that releases you from your prison. And so this is what's going on here in our account in Exodus, which is a beautiful, beautiful picture. Notice, if you will, over in Exodus chapter 15, verse 16, where they are celebrating Israel coming out of Egypt. Here's the language that it uses. I got one more verse afterwards. Notice what it says in Exodus 15, 16. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. Now, I want you to mark what that is. This is not about upon Israel. This is upon all of God's enemies. Because what they watched occur was God deliver his people who were slaves of Pharaoh out of the greatest nation of the world. The whole world watched how God busted up Egypt for over a year and how his people walked out and walked across the Red Sea. And everybody knew now that there is no God like the God of Israel. Did you guys get that? Everybody saw it. And according to the language, fear and dread fell on them. And here's the reason why. Egypt was the hierarchy of nations in that day. If you could take Egypt out, there is no power greater than your power. There's a sense then in which your redemption and mine indicates or represents or demonstrates God's power. There's a sense in which you and I must understand that when you tell men and women you are redeemed, you are redeemed, you are redeemed. You are saying a power of the greatest sort has liberated me from my bondage and from my captivity. And one of the affirmative expressions of you being redeemed is that you walk free out of the clutches of the enemy and now you become the product of a whole nother power. The very power that delivered you out of that power now is your king, now is your God, now is your ruler. Am I making some sense? Watch it now. You were a slave of the world. Now you are a slave of Jehovah. You are Jehovah's free people like you learned last week. If you are a slave of Christ, you're the freest person in the world. If you're Christ's free man, then you are also his servant. In other words, none of us are totally free. So utterly abolish the notion that, you know, I'm free. No, you're not. Somebody owns you. And I'm glad to declare that not only do I understand the sacrificial atoning work of the God that loved me enough to lay down his life and to cover my nakedness, but to set me free from the house of bondage and allow me to walk out with my head high because of a high and lifted up hand. This is called the redeemed people of God. Redemption by the blood of the lamb. And it's really important for you to get that child of God because God is glorified in your freedom. Please understand the father's gift of Christ in his sacrifice is pictured in his love for you to forgive you of your sins, but also to liberate you. Are you a child of God? Then there was power given you to walk away from evil. 
There's power given to you to begin to walk away from sinful patterns. There's power given you to overcome the devil's tyranny. There's power given to you to overcome the tendencies of your flesh to live on that low level of slavery. Am I making some sense? Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall say so as they make their way to Zion and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. That's how the hymn writer puts it. So when we're talking about this matter of the table, we are saying a lot of things to people, are we not? God has freed me to come be part of his priestly family. Well, you have been listening to Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. If you have questions or comments about the program, maybe you would like to learn more about us here at Grace Bible Church in Hayward. Reach out to us by simply calling 510-886-9782, or you can visit our website, grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Sunday services here at the church are 1030 in the morning. Friday evening is our Friday evening Bible study at 630. And man, we've got friends of the ministry from all over the Bay Area who join us for this Friday night Bible study. It is an amazing time of God's Word and sweet fellowship in Christ. 6.30 in the evening, Tuesdays, our prayer time and a short Bible study as well. These meetings, again, the directions and information of which you can find at our website, grace-bible.com, or by calling 510-886-9782. This program continues to air here on this radio station and on the World Wide Web because you partner with us financially and prayerfully. Thank you for your support. No gift is too small. No gift is too large. And you can either give on a monthly basis or it's a one-time gift. It is all tax deductible. And again, the biggest part of your partnership with us is that we get to continue ministering the gospel of grace here in the Bay Area and all over the world. Consider that as you contact us and join us again next time for another broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastand.